After watching the Lakers win the title, I'm feeling like the Bucks might need to trade for a second superstar if they want to win a chip. Well, that or play Robin Lopez more. One of the two. I'm not sure. This is where Wisconsin gathers to talk sports. Packers, Brewers, Badgers, Bucks. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Here's your host, Grant Bills. Monday Night Football isn't my favorite. It doesn't have the same official feel as the games on Sunday do. It doesn't even feel as official as Thursday Night Football. And Thursday Night Football used to be the worst. Like, football on Thursday is a joke, but at least they got Joe Buck and Troy Aikman, and it's really well done. Monday Night Football, I'm sorry. Not an ESPN guy. Not a live sports on ESPN guy other than Mike Breen, who is the gold standard of NBA announcing. Monday Night Football is just not, not my thing. It doesn't feel official. Last night... Still didn't feel official. Still kind of felt cartoonish. Had that same ESPN feel that I don't really love. But at least that game was fun. That game was awesome. Saints won 30-27 over the Chargers. New Orleans is 3-2. Chargers are 1-4. Justin Herbert was great. Drew Brees was fine. That's all you really need to know if you didn't see it. It was another really predictable game. We talked about the Vikings Sunday night game being predictable. Right? Of course the Vikings were right there at the end. Of course the Seahawks took until the final play. Of course, right? It was predictable. Last night, just as predictable as predictable gets. The Chargers losing a one-possession game after missing a, a field goal? Yep, that sounds about right. The Saints using Taysom Hill and only running little five-yard routes? Yep, that's about as predictable as predictable gets. So, a fun game last night, a predictable game last night, but a game that kind of reaffirms what we were talking about yesterday. I, I think this is the Packers conference right now. The Packers and the Seahawks. The NFC is theirs to lose. Last night doesn't change my mind. The Saints showed me nothing last night to, to show that they're a stronger contender or, or, or even a concern of the Packers or the Seahawks through four or five weeks. This is the Wisco Sports Show. My name is Grant Bills. I hope you're having a great Tuesday. We have Tuesday night football on tonight, which makes for a, a very weird uh, workplace vibe. Like, yeah, it's Tuesday and we got a long way to go until Friday, but it, it, we have football on tonight. Like as, I, as I'm looking forward to, to getting home after work tonight, I'm, okay, I got a game I have to watch. I need to be on the couch to watch two, Tuesday night football. All right, awesome. Sign me up. And it's the Bills and Josh Allen, who I haven't got to watch a ton of this year just because the Bills haven't really been on primetime. So this is amazing. We get the Bills back tonight. Tuesday night football, it is certainly going to be a, a weird experience, but an experience that I, I will always sign up for. Extra football is always a good thing. We're going to talk a lot of football today. I, I actually think... I think we're going to talk football for the whole show. Let me scroll here. Yep, football, football, football. Oh, yeah, it's all football today. Oh, I guess a quick mention about the Brewers at the end. Uh, I'm going to get a little sentimental at the end of the show at 5.50. So we got a long ways to go, but until then, all football. We're going to talk to Perry Goldstein of Cheesehead TV. She does excellent, excellent work and is uh, one of my favorite Packers guests to bring on. We're going to talk to her coming up at 4.30. It's Pat McAfee Day. Aaron Rodgers joined the Pat McAfee Show today, so we're going to cherry-pick some of that content and steal it for the purpose of the Wisco Sports Show. Some really interesting things. Uh, heard about his experience over the bye uh, and, and what that first practice is like after the bye and got some really funny jokes. Aaron Rodgers is funny. He's very funny. So we're going to hear some of that coming up at 530. I'm learning more about Aaron Rodgers with every interview he does every Tuesday with Pat McAfee. So all football today. If you want to join the show, you can tweet at me at Wisco Grant. You can text the show at 608-796-2558. Let's talk about last night. Let's start with last night. I do not like watching the Saints. I don't enjoy it. They're not a fun team to watch. They're they're like the Cowboys, 
in that everybody wants to talk about them and everybody either loves or hates the Saints. But much like the Cowboys, I don't really enjoy watching the Saints. They're not particularly explosive on offense other than Alvin Kamara. And last night at times, it seemed like Sean Payton was trying to find ways to not give Alvin Kamara the ball. He only had 12 carries, which, okay, sure. I guess 11, 12 carries is not bad, but like he needs to be the centerpiece of your offense. You're one explosive dynamic player, Alvin Kamara. It seems like he was kind of left out of the game plan last night. They're not particularly explosive. They're really sloppy. They commit a lot of turnovers, dumb turnovers and dumb penalties. The Superdome is ugly, which I factor into my watching experience. I don't like watching the Cowboys for the same reason. AT&T Stadium is just, especially without fans, it's just kind of septic. It's gross. It doesn't have any character. The Superdome might have character, but it's still ugly as hell. So I don't, I don't like watching the Saints for that reason. And Drew Brees really isn't that dynamic. Watch him throw the ball away a lot. Throw the ball at the feet of his receivers a lot. Doesn't extend plays. He'll give up on a play in the snap of a finger. Do you ever notice when you're watching Drew Brees in primetime, his highlight packages that they'll use in between plays, like, oh, all-time great Drew Brees moments. Do you ever notice how the moments are never in a a game or in a play? It's always him celebrating on the sideline during a TV timeout because he broke some record uh, during a nondescript, you know, Monday night football game. Like, that's the Drew Brees great moments of all time. The highlight reel of all time is just him fist bumping with his teammates on the sideline because he broke some record. Like, okay, awesome. Drew Brees has a lot of records. He's amassed great statistics over his career. I would rather watch a quarterback that has amassed great moments in the playoffs. I don't know, like Hail Marys maybe, maybe two of them in one game, Uh, maybe being the driving force on a Super Bowl team, you know, that kind of thing. I would rather rather my quarterback have have those kind of all-time great moments rather than fist bumps during a TV timeout of a regular season game. I just, I, I don't know. I, I don't enjoy watching the Saints. And I also hate watching Taysom Hill. But that's a double-edged sword because I also love how everyone complains about having to watch Taysom Hill. So it, it balances out. Like, I, I actually, I was entertained by that. I tweeted at Wisco Grant last night. It's like, maybe, just maybe the sports gods will gift us with another primetime Taysom Hill blunder. We had a shot. He had a touch in the red zone and he scored. I was hoping for a turnover because people would have lost their mind, not because I have anything against Taysom Hill. It's just really entertaining to watch people complain about Taysom Hill. It's actually one of the few ways that our country have, has uh, come together in 2020. Not over the election or over the pandemic or climate change or anything like that, racial injustice, but man, we know how to link arms together and hate Taysom Hill. And I will, I'll take unity any way we can get it. So I'm, I'm all about watching Taysom Hill in primetime. The Saints game last night kind of completes our, uh, what should we call it, our contender watch during the Packers bye, we, we spent this weekend watching other teams in the NFC that are direct challengers to the Packers. There could be other contenders in the NFC, other Super Bowl caliber teams. So the 49ers, the Seahawks, the Saints last night, the, the Cowboys, because somebody's got to win that division. I think the Rams, see, after a couple of weeks, might find themselves in that discussion as well. Same question as yesterday. After five weeks, and after we got to see the Saints last night on Monday Night Football, do you feel scared of any of these teams? Do you feel freaked out by any of these teams? Because I don't. I, I I didn't watch the Saints last night and think, wow, the Packers got their work cut out for them. If they meet they meet this squad in the postseason, I'm terrified. I'm scared of the Seahawks. Not because I think the Seahawks are that much better than the Packers, but because they're the Seahawks. I ain't scared of the Saints. I ain't scared of the 49ers. I'm not scared of the Cowboys. Other than Seattle, I actually might be most scared by Jared Goff and the Rams. They've been very good this year. They've looked excellent at times. Like they might have returned, not necessarily to Super Bowl form of two years ago, but Sean Payton calling clever plays, Jared Goff delivering the ball on time and on target. 
I don't know. The Rams might be a, a sneaky good team. The 49ers gave up 43 to the Dolphins. Ryan Fitzpatrick. Like, I, I'm not scared of the 49ers for now. We're going to put that team to the side. Other than Seattle, I think it's the Rams, and then the Saints are in that next tier behind the Seahawks and the Packers. I'm not scared of the 49ers. not scared of anybody. Other than Alvin Kamara, who on the Saints scares you? Or what about the Saints scares you? I, I think the Saints are a relatively easy team to game plan for and a relative, relatively easy team to beat. If you could just figure out how to at least mitigate Alvin Kamara. You can't stop him. But if you can slow him down enough to where he's not going to win the game by himself, I think the Saints team is very easily beatable. Even with Michael Thomas healthy. Michael Thomas is great. Five yards at a time. Like, Sure, he's excellent at picking up five yards on a slant route. So, stick Jair Alexander on him. There. Next. Move on. Emmanuel Sanders seems to be getting it going. Seems to be better than he was at the beginning of the year, finding his way in this offense. All right, awesome. Stick Kevin King on him. There, next. Moving along. Drew Brees is a statue quarterback that can't escape the pocket and cannot throw under any, any type of duress. Like, if he sees one hand in his face, that ball's it's getting thrown into the grass like that, or I guess into the very ugly, gross-looking turf in the Superdome. Drew Brees is a statue. So let's enlist, I don't know, Kenny Clark or Sean Gary, Zadarius Smith, Preston Smith. There you go. Next. Got him. What else you got? If you want to talk about the Saints defense, like they, they got some players. Marcus Davenport is a beast. Cam Jordan is a beast. They got some good pass rushers, and they have some good players on defense, like Malcolm Jenkins, who missed another play last night. He dropped what should have been an easy interception, and everybody in the ESPN broadcast booth is like, oh, that's a play he normally makes. I don't know. He's like 40 years old. So, no, that's not a play that he has made this year. Not at all. He made one great play against the Packers, and the rest of this year for Malcolm Jenkins has been slightly below average, and everybody wants to just, like, feign shock. Oh, Malcolm Jenkins, he's, oh, he's an all-time pro. You know he's on CNN. That's the play he normally makes. It's like, well, no, he's, he's pretty darn old. He dropped an interception last night. In fact, the Saints' defense must be so good and so scary that a 22-year-old Justin Herbert played loose enough last night to throw for four touchdowns despite playing behind a really bad offensive line. Justin Herbert last night finished 20 of 34. Only, I say only, only 264 yards because that 264 really doesn't make sense when you also consider that he threw for four touchdowns. The first rookie to do so on Monday Night Football since, I don't remember, who cares? It is a random Monday night game. Justin Herbert, four touchdowns. How good can the Saints defense really be if a rookie in one of his first career starts behind a suspect offensive line on the road can play loose enough to roll right, roll left, and sling the ball everywhere for four touchdowns. I, the Packers were able to score on the Saints. Justin Herbert was able to score on the Saints. This defense doesn't scare me. Michael Thomas scares me a little, only five yards at a time. Emmanuel Sanders is getting it going, but that's why the Packers have Jair Alexander and Kevin King. And then you turn your pass rush loose on Drew Brees, who's a statue quarterback. And you're, and you're in a good spot, like they were a couple of weeks ago when they played him on Sunday Night Football. I don't say all of this to rip the Saints. Or yesterday, I, I, I didn't mean to go out of my way to be a Seahawks hater or a Russell Wilson hater or a 49ers hater. This is a pro-Packer argument, not an anti-Saints argument. The more I watch, the more games that I see, the more that I read, the more that I think, because that's what I do all day. I just contemplate. I just sit there and squint and stare at uh, across the room and, and ponder things because that's how you prep for a radio show. The more I think about it, I, I think 
The NFC is very similar to the Eastern Conference. And the situation of the Packers is very similar to the situation of the Milwaukee Bucks the last two years. You have, yeah, you have, some, you have some good teams. The Seahawks are good and the Raptors are good. And the Heat were a good team. And, and, and I think a team like the Rams or the 49ers, should they get it healthy, can fill a, a role like the Celtics or the Heat had. But th- there's no clear juggernaut in the NFC. Just like the last two years, there's no clear juggernaut other than the Bucks in the Eastern Conference. I think the Packers are, are finding themselves in a very similar situation to the Bucks the last two years. This conference is beginning to feel like it's the Packers conference to lose. And if you're still not sold on the Seahawks completely, like I am, I think the Packers are better than the Seahawks. I think the Packers are better than the Saints. But if you're not sold, I mean, give it some time. We'll see. The Seahawks, look at it this way. The Seahawks are a goal line stand against the Patriots and a fourth down stand against the Vikings from being 3-2 and two and not 5-0. and oh. And that's especially important given that the Packers steamrolled the Vikings and had zero issue. The Seahawks couldn't score in the first half, and it took a fourth down stop and a Kirk Cousins fumble and interception for them to have that game in hand. I, I don't doubt the, the Seahawks. I don't doubt Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson. But, but I think we got to give our Packers some credit, and I think we need to be realistic about it. I, I think, naturally, we, we tend to pump the brakes as fans. Well, we don't want to overreact. don't want to get our hopes up. I, I'm telling you, get your hopes up a little bit. Because the more that I watch the Saints, the Seahawks, and the 49ers, I, this is shaping up to be the Packers' conference to lose. Isn't that insane? I know we got a lot of season left, but I'm just calling it like I see it. Also, moving forward, it looks like the AFC is going to become the tougher conference than the NFC, which I love for the Green Bay Packers. We'll talk more about that coming up later on in the show. The Packers are 4-0 and have looked tremendous. And if you're still not sold, and if you're still concerned about the Seahawks or the Saints or the Niners, okay, let me, let me get my one last pitch in. Let me play lawyer for just a couple of more minutes here. The Packers are 4-0. Despite losing their best defensive lineman and arguably their best defensive player in Kenny Clark, They lost their two best wide receivers, not just their number one, but also their number two. And they lost their starting right guard. They're 4-0. Come on. Come on. They're 4-0. They've lost everybody. The Packers are 4-0, and they haven't even gotten to play the Bears yet. That's two free wins. Come on. Come on. Exactly. Packers are 4-0, and yet they only rank 17th in red zone scoring. They've left a lot of meat on the bone. They have room to get better, room to improve in execution and in play calling in the red zone. 4-0. Come on. Come on. Get excited about the Packers. Why, why do I have to be the one who, who, who is telling Packers fans to get hyped up? Because I think they're better than the Saints. I think they're better than the Seahawks. I think they're better than the Niners, at least so far. We'll see what the Niners end up if they get healthy and they get some momentum. Packers are 4-0. Getting excited. Come on. Come on. Get excited. Get our hopes up. That's what sports is about. Yeah, maybe my hopes and dreams will be crushed in a few weeks. That's fine. That's fine. That's what sports are for. I want to talk about a a way that the Packers can get better other than the red zone, other than playing the Bears, which is going to be two free wins, and, of course, getting healthy. I think there's a move to be made, a roster move, a personnel move. And I don't know if you saw the rumors today. Don't know if you saw the the breaking news. Packers could be uh, in talks with a particular player at a – particular position. I'm sure you saw the news. We'll get into this coming up. I think their team can get better, get a lot better at a very important position. We'll talk about that next. We'll also talk to Perry Goldstein of Cheesehead TV coming up at 4.30. Thanks for listening. My name, Grant Bills. Follow and tweet me during the show at Wisco Grant. More of the Wisco Sports Show coming up next. Wisco Sports Show rolling on. 
My name is Grant Bills. I am your host. And if you like what you hear, you like it so much that you, you want more, I don't know why you'd want to do that to yourself, but you can follow me on Twitter at Wisco Grant. You can also text the program on the Talk and Text line at 608-796-2558. Now joining us on that Talk and Text line from Cheesehead TV and the Packs What She Says podcast. She also does the happy hour for uh, Game On Wisconsin. That's Perry Goldstein. Uh, and I love bringing her on. I always learn something, and I enjoy our conversations. So, Perry Goldstein of Cheesehead TV uh, joining us on the Wisco Sports Show. Perry, I, I think the last time we talked was right after the Vikings game. Uh, this has been a lot more fun of a three or four weeks than maybe I anticipated last time I talked to you. Yeah, I uh, I think we were pretty hyped up, which makes sense, right? The Packers yeah. had just won. We'd been waiting for so long for football, and now um, the Packers haven't stopped winning. Yeah. <laughs> They're four and zero, hoping to be five and zero after Sunday. It's been a great first quarter of the season. So I, I think the last time we talked, we were trying not to overreact, and maybe like maybe our huge fan reaction after going one and zero was warranted, which is kind of a good feeling. Um, the Packers have been on by. So me and my listeners, we've been talking and, and watching a lot of the other supposed NFC contenders, right? The 49ers, the Saints, the Seahawks. I, I include the Cowboys in that group just because, like, somebody has to win that division. And I, the Cowboys' <laughs> defense is bad. I, I think they're an okay team. So, like, we've been talking a little bit about Dallas as well. I don't know if there's a definitive argument that can be made for another NFC team clearly being better than the Packers, right? I'm not saying the Packers are hands down the best team and the team to beat, but... I don't know if you can make a better argument for another NFC team. What do you think of the Packers standings in the conference through four or five games? Definitely top two. Um, I think it's very clear. It's them and the Seahawks yeah. at the top. Um, I think it, it's, uh, I think what the Seahawks and the Packers both do well are very similar. They're very, very strong on offense. Russ is super hot right now. Both their defenses I'd say have some holes, um, but they're, I find them to be pretty evenly matched. Obviously, uh, Russ and Rodgers are the front runners for MVP. So um, it's definitely the Seahawks. I think then there's kind of a next level down um, where you could put maybe the Saints, the Bucks. Um, it's a weird group, isn't it? Like, yeah, it's, it's not it's very a, clear. It's a weird group. Um, the Panthers are sneaky in there. You know, they're also three and two. Teddy Bridgewater looks really good right now. Um, the 49ers look bad. Um, I am definitely still kind of anticipating that game is one that's going to be a tough one for the Packers. Just uh, maybe it's a little PTSD. Maybe it's, I don't, I'm confident in Kyle Shanahan's abilities to sort of scheme up wins for his team, but, um, they're kind of in that next level, but it's, it's to answer your question. It's very easily the Packers and the Seahawks, and you can make the case for either team. I'm kind of scared of the sneaky Rams right now too, because I I think we kind of cast them off. I'm not saying that they're a Super Bowl team either, but if you're trying to make an argument for the saints or, Mm -hmm. I mean, the anybody from the NFC East, I think you have to include the Rams at least. So it's, it's an interesting group beneath the Packers and the Seahawks. I agree. Perry Goldstein of cheesehead TV, joining us i checked out your podcast yesterday with maggie and you had dusty evilly on and i watch his his film stuff on twitter because i i never played football so like i try to learn some of these things and i i always end up learning something when watching or listening to dusty through four weeks um i i think dusty and you and maggie made some really interesting points about the things the packers have put on tape so far um bootlegs come to mind certainly mesh plays and like last week they even got in on throwing to the running backs on vertical routes, which was fascinating. I know Aaron Nagler, who's 
kind of the czar at Cheesehead TV that everybody knows about um, brought that up in the postgame presser. It's like, well, how interesting is it to put vertical routes on film with your running back? So they've shown a lot of interesting things after the bye, now that opposing defensive coordinators maybe have a little bit of an idea of what the Lafleur offense looks like. You know, is there a next level? Is there something they could do next? Or, or what are you anticipating offensively after this bye? I mean, do defensive coordinators know what they're going to do? I, I feel know. like they have so much. Um, they're, they've proven that they can win in so many different ways. You know, I think Dusty said it very well, but like every week so far this season, it's been something different where it was week one, it was just jet sweeps with Tyler Irvin and the end arounds with Lazard. Um, maybe EQ gets in there now that Lazard's hurt. You know, bootlegs, like you mentioned, against the Saints, there were a ton of those. Rodgers has been phenomenal on play action. Um, and then now, you know, our running backs are, are running routes and catching passes. Um, so I I don't know what else LeFleur has up his sleeve. Week five could feature a completely new, you know, game plan uh, for the Bucks. I I expect a little bit of that mesh because I think the Bucks play a lot of man coverage. But um, I I think that now LeFleur is going to, take the buy if I understand the kind of coach that he is I think he's going to do a really deep self-scout he's going to look at what worked he's going to do a kind of a combo of game plan for the defense you're about to meet and then put in the things that the Packers are doing well so um, I think it's gonna be a combination of everything we see um, I'm sure he has something new I don't know if it's necessarily going to be very you know kind of clear cut what they're choosing to do you know sure. running six seven eight plays of the same thing um against the bucks now i think it'll be a little bit more of a combination but you know who knows he could he could have a totally new kind of set of plays he wants to call for the bucks that we haven't seen yet well and I, i've tried to peg it so far like well they've been doing this and this and if you go game by game it's a different you know weapon that's kind of popped off every week and it's a different concept that's popped off every week so i don't know if they start to recycle some of these things or if they just keep c- coming up with new concepts it's going to be interesting to watch um, I think and, it's going to be like an evolution sure. a little bit. So, so you know, like he's see, and, and the play that comes to mind is the, is the fourth down conversion by Malik Taylor in the in the last game against the Falcons, right? And so we've been seeing a lot of crossers, a lot of fades, and then instead he cuts back out and, and Rodgers hits him and it's a 21-yard gain. And I think that, you know, cut back out is not something we'd seen yet, but he was able to do it because he's working off of something that was previously working and the defense, you know, went the way that the film was showing them that he was going to go and then we went in a different direction. So I think it's going to be a lot of um, adding on to what we've already been seeing, um, that idea of being kind of multiple yeah, well, I, I think that's what the best play callers do, right, is they call things with the intention to come back to them and, and use it differently in the future, right? Put a play on tape and then kind of evolve, like you said, moving forward. And, and I think it will be an evolution. Hopefully we see a lot of these concepts just used in different ways. Um, speaking of usage, I want to see A.J. Dillon. And I, like, the Packers are 4-0, and I think I've done a pretty good job, given that I have to talk about the Packers for two hours every day. I think I've done a pretty good job not freaking out about not having a wide receiver or defensive, like, I think I've remained pretty level-headed. But, like, at the beginning of the year, I was also kind of under the impression that A.J. Dillon was going to be used as a weapon, and I think he can. Like, I, th- I think he can be used in this offense. We've seen a lot of 31 personnel, and, like, the fact that Tyler Irvin counts as a running back skews it a little bit, but I I understand you don't want to take Jones or Williams off the field, but I think A.J. Dillon is a weapon. I just mm-hmm. want to see him used. What do you think that looks like, if at all? Maybe, maybe you don't think the Packers will use him at all. What, what do you think of their second-round pick moving forward, at least after the bye? Oh, no, I want to see way more A.J. Dillon. Heck yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think uh, 
this offseason, you know, post-draft, I was like, okay, so the rookie that's going to get used the most is going to be A.J. Dillon. Mm-hmm. Um, that that was my expectation. Um, obviously, that hasn't necessarily been the case. And I think in part, I think it's because, you know, when you have Aaron Jones and Jamal being as successful as they are, why take them off the field? But, like, we've been stopped at the goal line now on fourth and one, fourth and goal how many times? Twice. And you haven't even tried to punch it in with A.J. Dillon yet? Like, yeah. Come on, Matt. Um, and, uh, you know, we've been going for it on fourth down a lot. Like, that's, I feel like, his where he can be utilized. And um, I don't know. I, I, I agree with you. I, I would like to see more of him. I know Matt LaFleur in multiple press conferences has said, you know, I want to get A.J. Dillon in the mix. But um, but I don't know why. Um, I don't know. Matt LaFleur, if you're listening to this, use, use A.J. Dillon because he's <laughs> he I, maybe they're saving him for the cold weather. I don't sure. know. I think I think a lot of people are using that like we've reached through four or five weeks. It's like, well, it must be the cold weather because yeah. I've, I've thought that I've heard other people make that argument as well. I just I want to see him get on the field because I think Matt LaFleur schemes really well using running backs as weapons. He's very good at at employing his offense through the running back position, which is why I was so excited when they drafted him. I, yeah. I hope it's not a two or three year thing down the road. I hope they can find some use for him this year. Um, yeah, I mean, we're only went four games in. Yeah. So so it's definitely a possibility that he's maybe just getting up to speed, that he's still learning the book. Um, I think, you know, another thing is that Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams are so good in pass pro. Yeah. And it's such a big part of this offense is their ability to pick up, you know, that blitz. So I know that a that's something I think that most running backs take take a little bit of time to acclimate to. You're you're not going up against college edge rushers. You're going up against guys who are getting paid seventy five million dollars to rush mm-hmm. the quarterback, and they're huge. Um, and so maybe AJ Dillon just needs some more, um, you know, some more reps in the pass pro realm. But um, that's my only other thought is like why he potentially would be kept off the field is because he can't do that well yet. Um, but. I don't know. Pass pro and cold weather. We'll just hold on to those two reasons, and, and that's, the, that's the story. We'll stick to that. Perry Goldstein, Cheesehead TV. Two more questions, a quick one, and then kind of a big picture one to leave you with. This is kind of a cop-out, but I'm curious. Who is more impactful coming back from injury, Equinemius St. Brown or Kamal Martin? Which player do you think could make a bigger impact? You know, someone asked us this last night on Happy Hour. And really? like, to me, it's so obvious that it's Kamal Martin. Okay. Um, because our offense is clicking. So great. We get another weapon in there in Equinemia St. Brown. That's awesome. Um, he's kind of, you know, I think he, he slides into that wide receiver three spot now that, um, you know, now that Lazard is hurt behind Devontae and MVS, but you know, he's, he missed an entire season and he's missed an additional four games this season. So I don't know how much of a impact you know, he's going to make immediately. Like, let's say he plays on Sunday. I, I can't see him playing a ton of snaps, but glad to have another offensive weapon, of course, see how LaFleur wants to use him. Uh, I think that, you know, we've seen some really, really, really good things out of Chris Barnes. Um, but Kamal Martin was going to be the starter next to Christian Kirksey. Um, I, that's what my understanding was from people who were at camp. They That's what they saw. Um, and so, you know, if we're about to get a potentially starting inside linebacker back on the field, that's only going to make us stronger. Uh, I think Raven Green, he played on Monday night, and he did some really great things in there as that like kind of hybrid safety linebacker role. He played a lot in the box. Um, I thought he was really great against the run. He had a what looked like was supposed to be a sack on Matt Ryan, but Matt Ryan got a, got a pass off, and it was an, ended up being an incomplete pass. But I think getting Kamal Martin there in the middle of the field is going to really, really change things for us. I think um, – 
the defense is obviously the weaker link of the two sides of the ball. So getting him will be um, impactful, especially with Christian Kirksey hurt now. Yeah, well, let's finish with the defense. I think this Packers defense has a defined ceiling in 2020 because I think their personnel is limited on the defensive line. It's not like they have a huge stable of, of really elite bodies there. There's nothing you can really coach up about that. And I think there aren't many great tacklers on this team. And I think mm. the way to fix that is, yeah, you can practice it a little bit, but I think you just have to get better tacklers through the draft and, and the players that you sign. Like, those are personnel issues, right? Those are addressed in the offseason. Are there any improvements that Patton and company can make, like, this week? Like, what can they get better at? And I maybe have a hunch at where you'll go, but I'm interested to see, like, th- something they can improve week to week. What could they yeah. do? Yeah. Well, we're going to get Kenny Clark back. So, like, I think already that's going to change the entire nature of our defense. And it's actually kind of crazy to me that one player impacts so much. But if you think about the position that he plays, I think that's why, right? So you get Kenny back in. You're getting the interior pressure that we're missing. I think Kingsley Kiki has played phenomenally without uh, Kenny Clark. And and that's saying a lot considering Kenny is probably the best nose tackle in the league. Um, not probably he is. And so you're getting interior pressure. And I think that will allow Preston's Darius Rashawn to be able to get more pressure on the quarterback. Um, and when they're able to do that, you know, first off being able to rattle a guy like Brady, um, who's a, just a statue. statue is, yes. Yeah. Is, is in turtles in the face of pressure, um, you know, is going to be huge, but even against guys like Deshaun Watson, who's super mobile, um, you know, you want to get that pressure on them. You want to go up against, um, you know, their offensive linemen and not, you know, not allow them to get the playoff. Um, and I think when, if our pressure and I saw a stat and I, I think it was Ben Fennel who tweeted it out, but we're like at the bottom three in blitzes and pressure packages, mm-hmm. like, that's supposedly what Petten's known for, and we're not even calling them. So I don't know if that's a missing Kenny or something Petten needs to get better at, but I think he needs to get better at it. We have a great secondary. I know our safeties haven't been playing like lights out or as good as we'd hoped, but King and Jair are, I think, probably one of the best tandems in the league. And so when you're getting a- enough pressure up front, you're making their jobs easier. And like, I mean, come on, making Jair Alexander's job easier right now. Like you're, he, he, he held uh, Calvin Ridley to zero catches. So um, I think, you know, that combination to me, it's all about upfront. And I really, really, really want Petten to be calling more blitzes, calling more, more pressure packages. I think he has a lot of more flexibility now that Kenny's coming back. Um, But I completely agree with you. The tackling is just atrocious. Like you are going to let Alvin Kamara, take a five-yard screen pass to the house because you can't get him down. Like, that's just unacceptable. So I hope that they're working on that in practice. Um, And then just closing out games. I think we talked about this last time I was on the show, but, you know, the offense is obviously putting up monstrous points. Um, We could be up 20. Don't let them turn garbage time into 24 points. Don't, Don't let them get two touchdowns in the fourth quarter and make it a close game. Like, finish out the game. Stop playing so soft. Stop playing 15 yards off the line of scrimmage and letting them get these big chunk plays. I, we've seen it a few times where they'll get maybe like a field goal before the half. And and that can be the difference in a close game is a field goal. So stop playing so soft, Petten. No, I, I like that, Perry. And it wouldn't be a conversation with Perry Goldstein if we somehow didn't talk about cornerbacks. And I was hoping we would get that in. Even though I didn't have it prepared, I didn't have a question about cornerbacks. I'm just glad we got there. So Perry the Packs What She Said podcast with Maggie. You guys do an excellent job. And I, and I want to have you on once or twice throughout the season because I really like your insight and, and what you bring to my show. So thanks again, Perry. Thanks, Grant. I'm happy to come on anytime you want. 
Final segment of the Wisco Sports Show. My name is Grant Bills. Thanks for tuning in and hanging out. If you missed any of today's show, maybe you're just tuning in now. I mean, amazing. I love that you're here, even for the last seven or eight minutes. But if you want to check out the rest of the show, you can. The podcast is up at WKTYsports.com and on the WKTY mobile app. Well, it's it's not up yet because I need to finish it first. I can't put the podcast up until the show's finished. So after 6 o'clock, you can find it there, WKTYsports.com. I had a memory pop-up on my phone today. A couple of pictures from 2018. Two years ago today, October 13th, 2018. Can anyone maybe guess or remember what happened today two years ago? Two years ago today was Game 2 of the Brewers-Dodgers, October 13th, NLCS. The Brewers ended up losing the game, and it was a bummer. And it was a very sad ending to the game. Jeremy Jeffress gives up the huge home run in the seventh inning to Justin Turner. The air is sucked out of Miller Park. But that's not what I want to talk about. This memory popped up today, and I'm like, oh, man, two years ago already. And I think it's important to to maybe remember what life was like two years ago or last year and appreciate it. And, and moving forward, try to remember to not take things for granted. Memories that have come up on Snapchat for me or or like Google Photos the last couple of weeks have been like really sad because I've been seeing all these Oktoberfest memories from the last couple of years. And Oktoberfest in lacrosse, if you have never been, if you've never done, you need to do it uh, if we can ever kick this pandemic out of here. But Oktoberfest in lacrosse, it's just you look forward to it all year. It's Christmas. It's biblical. It is incredible and amazing. And seeing all the memories and the pictures of years ago when this year we weren't able to do it, not exactly the most fun thing to look at in the world because you remember how things used to be and you wish you could go back. Now, I got a couple of pictures, a couple of videos from game two of the NLCS pop up my phone earlier today and I was just remembered thinking about it. I took my dad, we took a whole group from WKTY, sat right above first base and I have never seen Miller Park like that before. Next time the Brewers make the postseason, you better go. You better get a ticket because that was electric. That was unlike anything I'd ever seen. Wade Miley, who started the game and who I miss dearly, had two hits, including a double. He was amazing down the stretch that year. Lorenzo Cain ended up robbing a home run from David Freeze in the first inning or the second inning. Can't remember. Absolutely electric. I was able to witness the greatness of Orlando RC in the postseason. Naturally, hit a home run because he doesn't waste his time with anything else when the big games and the postseason games roll around. Handcuff the guy. Here's Arcia into center. Bellinger just into the game. Arcia goes deep, and it's one nothing Brewers in Game 2. As amazing as it was to be able to see a postseason game at Miller Park, taking the atmosphere, maybe the most amazing thing, and the thing I'm most grateful to this day, is that I got to see Orlando Arcia in person at the height of his powers, which you can only do in the postseason or late in the regular season when the Brewers are chasing a pennant. Jeremy Jeffress ends up giving up the go-ahead home run to Justin Turner in the seventh, and at that moment, my soul left my body. The vibe at Miller Park went from a 10 out of 10 to a 1 out of 10, and everybody was very sad. Now, that's not the point. That's not what I want to focus on, not what I want to dwell on. I I saw this memory pop up on my phone today, and I'm like, man, I remember that. I got to take my dad. It was an amazing time, and it's a good reminder to enjoy the good times while you can because you never know how long they'll last, either because of a pandemic or because of a cheap-ass owner that doesn't want to feel a good team. Either way, either one, or a combination of both. You could be a combination of both as well. If I could go back and do that day differently, I would have bought a hundred brats. I would have gone to the concession stand and bought a hundred brats. And I would have just walked around and handed them to random Brewers fans. I'm like, here you go. This is it. This is the best life gets right here. Miller Park, 
postseason, sitting at the Loge level, because I'm a big Loge level guy. I would have bought 100 brats and handed them out. I also would have bought 50 tall boys of Miller Lite and just sat in the parking lot and drank them after the game. I would not have left. I would have sat in the parking lot of Miller Park until 9 p.m. that night after that game if I could go back and do it again. I wish David Stearns could go back and do that season again and trade for Manny Machado and Madison Bumgarner. Just use the prospects that were ultimately dealt for Drew Pomerantz and Jordan Lyles because those players didn't get the Brewers any closer to a championship. Do it the right way. If I could go back to 2018, I would have bought 100 brass and 50 tall boys of Miller Lite, and they would have had to kick me out of Miller Park. I just wish David Stearns could go back and trade for Manny Machado and Madison Bumgarner. Just use the prospects that went for Drew Pomerantz, who didn't even... Like, he was great down the stretch, but the Brewers didn't make it out of the first round. Jordan Lyles is great, but the Brewers didn't end up re-signing him. So just take all those prospects. Take Mauricio Dubon and the other players that were... Maybe Jorge Lopez. I think he was... He might have been in the Mike Moustakis trade. Just take the prospects, go back, do 2018 differently, and try to make a World Series. You had a lead, Game 7, at home of the NLCS. And they couldn't finish the deal. They couldn't get it done. I would go back and spend $1,000 on concessions at Miller Park. I'd like to think that David Stearns maybe would go back and go for it a little bit more. Push his chips to the middle of the table just a little bit more. But point of this conversation, the point of this segment, and the reason I wanted to bring it up, not to complain about the Brewers' payroll or about the Brewers missing out on the World Series, but instead to reminisce on a good time from two years ago that I got to share with my dad. And looking back now, it's like, man, I need to be more appreciative of those opportunities and of those times when we have them. Because you never know when you'll get another chance to. You get a pandemic, sports shut down, the Brewers are never good again. I mean, I, I don't know. It's probably going to be a while until I have an opportunity to go with my dad to Miller Park to watch Game 7 or like Game 2 in this instance, of the NLCS. But that's a memory I will never forget. I wanted to share that with you today. You can see the video I posted on Twitter, at Wisco Grant. You can follow me there. We should have an amazing rest of the week here on the Wisco Sports Show. We're going to talk about Titans-Bills tonight. That's an AFC game, so not directly related to the Packers, but still a whole lot of fun. We're going to talk to Colton Bartholomew this week of the State Journal. Used to be here in town in lacrosse uh, as a part of the Trib. Now he's covering the Badgers for the uh, State Journal, so we'll talk to him this week. We're also going to talk to Packers legend Leroy Butler at some point this week and, and kind of touch base with him as the Packers get ready to take on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers coming up this weekend. So we'll talk to Leroy. It should be an awesome rest of the week here on the Wisco Sports Show. I'm looking forward to it. I'm excited to get the Packers back because without the Bucks and without the Brewers, we've been talking about the Seahawks, been talking about the Saints. Hell, we're, we're talking about a Brewers game from two years ago. I need the Packers back. I need some Wisconsin sports to talk about. Some real games. Some real plays, defenses, schemes, performances, statistics, all that crap. I want all that back. And I'm excited for the Packers to be back in action coming up this weekend. But tomorrow, we'll break down postseason baseball, break down tonight's game, and we'll talk to Colton Bartholomew as the Wisconsin football season inches closer and closer and closer, as does the rest of the Big Ten. Excited? Can't wait to talk to you tomorrow. Be here, same time, same place, on the Wisco Sports Show. I'll talk to you then.